0: Pressing on on the shorter of Catechism, uh, we're continuing this series just for a few more weeks, and then we're going to take a break. The Catechism is divided into two sections. The first is What Man is to Believe Concerning God, that runs through, I think, it's 38, and then from 39 or so on, it's What Duty God Requires of Man, um, a good breaking point, and I think we'll take a break. We might come back to that other half at some point, uh, Lord knows when, um, but... Uh, We'll be starting a new series of some kind, probably in a book of the Bible. Um, But anyway, for tonight, we're in the shorter catechism. We're on question 35, continuing to work through the benefits that are ours through union with Christ. So we come to question 35. I'll ask the question, you can respond to the answer. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. It's good news that sanctification is also the work of God's grace. Not an act of His grace, once for all, like justification and adoption, but, a, but an ongoing work of His grace in us to produce new life. Uh, as we're remade in the image of God. Our scripture is uh, two texts. One is from Ezekiel 36, 22 to 38. This is more just Old Testament background for the doctrine of sanctification. Uh, as we see here in Ezekiel 36, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to regenerate and, and make new the people of God. Ezekiel 36, verses 22 through 28. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine "...among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you, O be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt." The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it. And I will do it. Thus says the Lord God. I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock. Like a flock offered as holy sacrifices. Like the flock at Jerusalem on its feast days. So shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. In our sermon text, Romans 6, 1-14. Romans chapter 6, 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, For you are not under law, but under grace. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray together. Teach us, we pray, O Lord, according to your perfect word, and conform us to the image of Christ our Savior. Our hearts are hard hearts in ourselves. Sin-hardened, resistant to your word. We pray that you plant that seed of your word deep in us and cause it to bear fruit a hundredfold. In Jesus' name, amen. The doctrine of sanctification is perhaps one that should come with a warning label. Handle with care, right? Content's dangerous, right? It's one of those doctrines that is easy to get wrong and also spiritually deadly to get wrong on the one hand it's easy to neglect it and we say well i'm justified i got that from christ he justified me made me righteous in god's sight so no worries here what do i have to worry about this sanctification business on the other hand it's easy to do what looks like the opposite and, and make sanctification part of justification i'm only right with god if i do this and i do this and i do this I'm only justified and accepted and loved by God if I do all these things first. If I obey this way and I obey this way, then he'll, then he'll bless me and receive me and accept me. Right? So there's dangers all around this doctrine. What, so how do we understand it rightly? Because right? either way is deadly, spiritually. Uh, uh, either way is going to be our undoing spiritually. Um, what do we need to do? We need to look at what the Scriptures say about sanctification and see that it's not that we need to be more strict with it than we are or more lax with it than we are, but that we need to understand it in relation to Christ and in our union with him. In Romans 4 and 5, Paul has been teaching about justification. So we're in chapter 6, but chapter 4, chapter 5, he's he's teaching about justification. And he drives the point home there that we're justified by the righteousness of Christ by the grace of God, and that sanctification has nothing to do with it in that sense, right? God does not accept me because of any of my works. Uh, You're not justified because you will be sanctified. You're justified because of Christ's righteousness, once for all, a free act of God's grace, not a process, not a cooperative project. God's legal decision, it's done, justified because of Christ, by His grace, through faith in Him. That's chapters 4 and 5. And Paul emphasizes that point over and over. But then we come to chapter 6. And you might be wondering, well, Paul, if this is true, if, this, if what you're saying about how I'm accepted with God, this incredible news that I'm accepted with Him because of nothing in me, only what's in Christ, well, why don't I just sin as much as I feel like? If God forgives me anyway, and if I'm righteous in Christ anyway, why not just... yeah? Go ahead, sin. Enjoy it. There's a little ditty that goes like this Free from the law, oh blessed condition, I can sin as I please and still have remission. Is that the right attitude, Paul? Right? It seems like that's the logical conclusion of what he's saying about justification. What does Paul say? Romans 6 1. He says, "Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound?" He's asking this same question. Now, have, have you ever, uh, have you ever thought about sanctification in a similar way? Right, that perhaps you haven't asked it in the extreme of uh, saying, "Well, yeah, we can sin however we want, and we still get forgiveness, and we're still righteous in Christ." But, but maybe, you know, you think the law has a place in the Christian life. You think, yes, God does require obedience of me, but, but it, it's not, it's not a really big deal right? there's, God requires obedience but there's kind of a, he kind of winks at the same time saying we all know that you're going to be justified by Christ and so you don't really need to worry about the law um, on a scale of how important obedience to God's commands is in the Christian life with 1 being not important at all, 10 being absolutely essential what would you say? maybe a 6.5? a 7? A 8 on a good day? What do you think about obedience to God's law, right? We might not have a full-blown antinomianism, anti-law approach. I can sin however I want. Oh, God will forgive me. But it can still infect us. It can still affect us in different ways, right? We, we say, oh, it's, it's a little sin won't be a problem. I'm justified by Christ. It doesn't really matter how I obey. Well, whatever form of uh, the, 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 this objection takes, um, Paul's answer is the same. He says in verse 2, Romans 6-2, he says, uh, Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? He doesn't start out with a reasoned argument. He starts out um, uh, with, a, with an impassioned declaration. He says, God forbid, is how the King James puts it. Or by no means, no way, is how we might understand the Greek idiom. Paul Paul sees no room at all in his theology for understanding justification in such a way that it leads to the idea that we can sin however we please. Um, John Murray puts it like this. Paul responds to the very idea with a recoil of abhorrence to show the inherent contradiction, indeed the absurdity of this. Death and life cannot coexist. We can't be dead and living with respect to the same thing at the same time. Paul's, Paul's point is you Christian are dead to sin and if you're dead to sin you can't be alive in sin right this is who you are so for a Christian to live in sin is a contradiction um, you've died to it how can you live in it this is how Paul Paul starts and then he then he breaks into a, 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 a more complex argument and he backs up what he's saying here in verses 3 to 14. So let's work through this. Four points as we work through verses 3 to 14. The first is this. Paul talks about our baptism. He says, you are baptized into Christ. That's our first point tonight. This is verses 3 and 4 if you're following along in Romans 6. You are baptized into Christ. When the great reformer Martin Luther was tempted, his, one of his first instincts, one of his first things that he would do, one of his defenses— would he remind himself of his baptism. He'd say, "I am a baptized man." It was something he would tell himself. Right, and it's a good instinct. It comes from Paul himself here in Romans six. The first thing Paul turns to is that we are baptized. What does it mean to be baptized? Paul spells it out, in verses three and four. He says, "Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized?" into his death, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. Baptized into Christ Jesus. That's the core thing about baptism. That's fundamentally what baptism is about. It's about being united to Christ by faith. And that's, that's, that's the heart of everything that Paul believes. We are saved because of Christ and because of our relationship with him. And every aspect of our salvation flows to us uh, because of that relationship with him. It's not like we, we've said before. It's not like Jesus sends us a package labeled justification in the mail on Monday. And we open it up and enjoy that. And then the next day he sends us another package, sanctification. We open it up and enjoy that. Uh, no. Right? You, when, you, when you're united to Christ, you are united to the whole Christ. And everything that's his becomes yours. Right? It's like a, like a tree branch on a tree, doesn't pick and choose which nutrients flow to it from the tree's sap. It's all the sap or none of it. Everything comes or nothing does. And that's our union with Christ. Baptized into the whole Christ. It's either all of him or none of him. Either every benefit he gives or none of them. This is why it's an impossibility to be justified in Christ and not also being sanctified in Christ. So Paul says, you're baptized. You're baptized into Christ. You've been brought into this living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, and that means that you're baptized into his death and into his burial. In other words, when Christ died, when Christ was buried, as you're baptized into him and have that living union with him, that is counted as yours, becomes your death and your burial. The effects of his death and his burial come to us. And then this isn't all. Being baptized into Christ is also, as verse 4 says, baptized into his resurrection. So we get it all. His, his death, his burial, his resurrection, all of it comes to the believer. Verse 4, if we were buried with him through baptism into his death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. In other words, Paul's saying, Christian, you have already died. You've already been buried. Christ's death and Christ's burial, that was your death and your burial, and in that moment, your old sinful self was crucified, and your old sinful self was laid in the tomb, cold, lifeless, never to rise again, and then when Christ rose again from the dead, that's when your new spiritual life began resurrection that seed was, was right that the, the seed of Christ's resurrection is planted in the believer's heart as he as he comes to faith in Christ this is the first and fundamental thing loved ones that we need to grasp about who we are and what's happened to us when we become Christians that we are brought into this union with Christ Everything that's his becomes ours. His death, his burial, his resurrection, ours because of our union with him. What does that mean, then, for sanctification? Paul goes on, and he explains this. This is our second point. In verses 5 to 7, you've had a definitive break with sin. So verses 3 to 4, he says you're baptized into Christ. Verses 5 and 7, he talks about our definitive break with sin definitive. We often speak of sanctification as a process, right? And that's right. It's, we talk about progressive sanctification. This is God's work in us, and over the course of our lives, it's uh, it's our growing in holiness, learning to walk as he calls us to walk and obey him in the things he calls us to do. Um, but but behind that sanctification, underneath it, is also this other kind of, of sanctification, of, of holiness, and that is definitive sanctification, Right? You've been placed in a, in a new sphere of existence, brought out of, out of one kingdom and put into a, a new one. Uh, and you're now definitively holy, set apart. That's what sanctified means. Paul says, verse 5, If we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we, shall, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So if, if, if in Christ's death we died to sin, um, and Christ's death is not a process but an act, then my death to sin, my s- definitive sanctification, is, is a once-for-all act. Elsewhere we'll read about the process of mortification, putting to death the sin that's still in you. But here Paul says it's a definitive thing, not a process. And this is what our new life in us is. It's not a process. It's, it's already begun, definitively begun. And so we've been raised up in holiness in Christ, definitively. We are dead to sin. We are alive to righteousness. That's the bedrock of our sanctification. Paul develops this more. Verses 6 and 7. He says, knowing this, that your old man was crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Paul is saying your old man, that means your old self, your old sinful self, your old in Adam self, your old under the curse self is dead. He died with Christ, was crucified with Christ. So the Christian is not this combination, of it's not, not, not Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, of the old man and the new man. Right? But it is new man all through. Right? You're, the, you're, you're a new creation in Christ. You're a new man in Christ. Paul doesn't say here that your old sinful self is in the process of being crucified with Christ. You have been crucified with Christ. Your old sinful self isn't on life support, right? Not, 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 not you know, struggling out to, but, but still alive. Your old sinful self is completely dead. Paul's saying. Paul makes it concrete. It's not just a concept for him. He talks about the body of sin, right? Our our sinful selves, our sinful bodies even are, are dead. John Murray says the body of the believer is no longer conditioned and controlled by sin. The body of the believer, your very body in Christ, is no longer conditioned and controlled by sin. Right, you 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 used to be used to be controlled by that old sinful self, but that self died in Christ's death, and the chains were broken. You've been freed. The Holy Spirit gives you life, and you're free from sin's reign. So Paul's saying, definitive break with sin already happened for you, believer. He uses severe and absolute language, doesn't he? When, when you die to something, what kind of a relationship do you still maintain with it? Right, when a prisoner dies. He's no longer a prisoner. He is free, in a sense. What's happened to us in coming to Christ is no less severe and dramatic than that. We have died to sin. It has no claim on us, no authority over us. You can picture it like the Exodus in, in, in uh, 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 the tribes of Israel being brought out of Egypt. Right, The Israelites are slaves to the Egyptians there. And the Egyptians have authority over them. They, they make them do whatever they, whatever they tell them to do. And if they don't, they torture, crucif- uh, persecute, and, 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 and uh, make them miserable. Um, they have to work and do whatever the Egyptians tell them. But then what happens? God saves them, brings them out of Egypt. They're free from that. right? He brings them out, and it's not a process. It's he does it, and it's done, and they're freed from the slavery they were in. And now some of them say, oh, I wish we were still in Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt, because they're forgetting who they are. But the reality is they are sanctified already, set apart from the slavery they were in in Egypt. That's how we should think, loved ones. That's how you should think about who you are in Christ. We often talk about the sanctification process, and it is a process in so many ways. But there is this important thing to see it's definitively already begun in Christ. We talk about how sinful we still are, how much we need to grow, what we need to work on. And we'll talk about that in a few more minutes in the sermon. But underneath all that, and and, and prior to all that, we need to realize God has already freed us from the reign of sin. You are already holy. Yes, in your justification and in your sanctification. You've been freed and set apart. We need, to, we need to drill it into our heads and our hearts that sin has no claim on us or any authority on us at all. We are like a, a woman whose first husband has died. He was a cruel tyrant, abusive, mean, and he's died. And now we've been remarried to a gracious, kind, Protective, gentle Christ. And yes, the memory of the dead, abusive husband of sin in the past is still going to affect you. But what do you need to do? You need to remember over and over, I'm not married to him anymore. I'm not under that anymore. I'm not under sin anymore. That's dead to me now. And I'm in this new reality of being married to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm under His grace, and sin has no authority over me whatsoever. That's the first lesson of our sanctification. Remember who you aren't now. Remember who you are now. But not only this, there's another piece that we need to understand. We get this definitive break with sin in verses 5 to 7, but we also have the promise in verses 8 to 10 of final freedom from sin. Sanctification has been called, uh, very fittingly, a long obedience in the same direction. A wonderful wonderful way to describe it. A long obedience in the same direction. Uh, We see it pictured for us in Scripture as a war. As the Catechism, or I think it's the Confession, puts it a continual and irreconcilable war. Uh, Scripture pictures it as a wrestling match and a race and a pilgrimage. And all those are, are, are images of uh, uh, of hard work and, and, and long duration and perseverance and um, the, the 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 images are, are things that require strength and toughness and this is all telling us right this is what this is what that process of sanctification now that we're talking about is going to feel like it's going to feel like a like a war or a wrestling match um, because yes well we've been definitively freed from sin we're no longer under its authority and rule. Those habits run deep, and the residue of it runs deep. And so we have to continue to put off the remaining corruption of our sin. It's one thing to remind ourselves. We've already been freed from sin in Christ, and freedom from that is glorious, but, but what about the end? Right? Do I have to keep this up forever? Or is there an end in sight? Is there a promise that I won't just burn out and fail and won't persevere in my, my Christian walk? Paul answers that question by turning our attention to Christ. He keeps doing this, doesn't he, over and over. He points us to Christ, his death, his resurrection. And that is, for Paul, the answer to every question. Uh, This is the whole of of his religion, uh, this union with Christ. In verse 8, God gives us a promise. If we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Paul said something similar already in verse 5. Uh, He says, if we've been united in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And there, Paul is emphasizing our new position in Christ and the reality of Christ's resurrection for us now in this life. But now in verse 8, he's turning his attention really on the future, and he's saying that if if we died with Christ, we shall also, in the future, in the glorious heavenly future, live with Christ. In other words... The resurrection life of Christ has already begun in you through Jesus Christ, and that will not fail to come to its completion. God will bring it to its end. So, yes, new life in Christ has begun, and now Paul's adding to that. You will complete it. It will be brought to its glorious fulfillment and consummation. It will, it will, you will, you will continue, you will persevere through setbacks, through backslidings for all the elect. This is certainty promise that is held out to us we often think of sanctification as this you must obey and overcome it's also it is that but it's also you will by God's power by God's grace you will with absolute certainty persevere obey overcome how certain are you Paul are you sure that mean the struggle I have with sin is deep and it seems like there are plenty of times when it looks to be in question. Paul says, verses 9 to 10, he's as certain about this as he is Jesus' resurrection. Is Christ alive? Paul, Paul's asking. Right? If Jesus is alive in heaven, if you believe that, then you must also believe that you also will be alive with him in heaven, freed from sin forever, glorified in his presence. He, he says this, verses 9 to 10, knowing that Christ... Having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Paul saying, look there. That guarantees your holiness for all eternity. As surely as Christ is alive, freed from death in heaven So shall I be, and so certainly then we can hold this that we will be raised up with Him in holiness, and our sanctification will be completed. Nothing's more discouraging, is it, than to know before you start a project that it's doomed to fail. Right? Imagine standing at the starting line of a race and knowing you will not finish that race. Right? What's more discouraging than that? Right, No matter how much you square your jaw and stubbornly run as long and as hard as possible, you know you're going to lose and fail and not even finish that race. It's immensely discouraging. You're not going to reach the finish line. There's no guarantee. And it seems as the longer you go on, the, the race gets harder, the hills get steeper, and it's not getting any easier at all. And, and the doubts dog your mind. You're not going to make it. You're going to fail. That's discouraging. Imagine a different scenario. A race where you know with absolute certainty you will finish. You and then you have you have the, the team captain, you're running the race, and the team captain comes along beside you and says, I already finished. And I'm here to, to strengthen you, encourage you the rest of the way, and tell you you're gonna finish too. I've done it, I went ahead of you and I did it, and and let me tell you, as as sure as I did it, you're gonna do it. And that encouragement, right, uh, it's not just that that's what Christ does, but not just that, that kind of a pep talk, but he's actually by his spirit at work in us, giving us spiritual oxygen and energy and stamina and grit to keep on in the fight, holding out to us the finish line, saying, you're not going to fail. I'm with you. I already finished myself and I'm going to make sure you do, too. All right? This long obedience in the same direction is going to reach an end when your, will, your struggle with sin will be done forever. You'll be holy, free of sin's curse for forever. And so, loved ones, God surrounds us, doesn't he, here, with all this encouragement about our sanctification. We haven't heard any word yet from Paul about the process of it, of our own work we need to get down and do. Before he gets there, he surrounds us with this encouragement. You're baptized into Christ. Your sanctification is inevitable in Christ. Uh, You've you've been definitively freed from sin, right? You're free from that slavery. You're free from that old uh, abusive uh, relationship that sin held over you. You're now in Christ. You've been freed from sin. You've been brought into the new realm in Christ. You've died to sin. It has no claim on you. And you will definitely, surely, with absolute certainty, come to the end and be freed from it forever. All that Paul says before he says one word on what we are to do. But there is a word, isn't there? On what we are to do. We need to see this now and this is our fourth point. You must fight an ongoing battle with sin. Verses 11 to 14. You must fight an ongoing battle with sin. So Paul is saying All this is true, and now you need to believe it for yourself and lay hold of it for yourself. Verse 11, he says, So reckon yourself, consider yourself, count yourself, dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, Learn to think about yourself in these categories in this way, drill it into your head, drill it into your heart. I'm dead to sin, I'm alive to Christ. And then he says, Get to work, go obey, wage the war. Verses 12 to 13. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. He puts a nice point on it. Verse 13 makes it very particular. He says, don't present your members... As instruments of unrighteousness to sin, your members are those are your body parts, right? God, Paul's saying, don't present your your body as a slave to sin. You've been freed from it, right? Sanctification is about our minds, it's about our hearts, and it's also about our very bodies. Holiness begins in the heart, but it is worked out through the hands. Don't give yourself as a slave to sin. Don't go back to Egypt. Uh, don't go back to that old, uh, that marriage under that, that husband's sin anymore. Paul is, is is reminding us, loved ones, that we are dead to sin. Therefore, put it to death in you. Right? He gives us an imperative here. And so what we see is that our sanctification, this glorious growth and holiness after the image of God in Christ, it's not an optional thing. It's not tangential. It's crucial. We started by asking that question on a scale of 1 to 10. How important is it, really, that we obey the Lord? And it's a 10. It's absolutely important. Not for our justification. Don't hear me say that. But absolutely important for our walk with Christ. You cannot have half a Christ. You have a whole Christ. So pursue sanctification, loved ones. You've been freed from sin. So live like you are. Puts into death that's in you, right? Whatever it is, like wh- whatever it is that's that's still trying to reign and rule over you—pride, lust, covetousness, greed, laziness, anger, discontentment, selfishness, whatever it is—let's get to work, root it out. It's an impostor. There's no place in your life. It's no no uh, no authority over you or a claim on you. Seek the Lord Jesus Christ and obey Him. He's the one you're under now. Give yourself to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your death and your resurrection in which we share and which is all our hope for these things. And thank you for your spirit who is even now within us uh, to to take this word and apply it to us. Make us more like our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would uh, spare nothing but that you would work in whatever whatever ways necessary to conform us more to the image of our glorious Savior. Reflect more fully his righteousness and his holiness and his gentleness and his character and his commitment to you, that we might reflect him, O oh Lord. So we pray you do this. We pray that our hearts would rest in you and that we would... Work by the strength that you supply to this end. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.